So 2 Corinthians 12, verse 14 says, now for the third time, I am ready to come to you and I will not be burdensome to you for I do not seek yours, but you. For the children ought not to lay up for the parents, but the parents for the children. And I will very gladly spend and be spent for your souls, though the more abundantly I love you, the less I am loved. This is not a parenting sermon, although as we read, you saw that Paul utilizes as an illustration of his relationship with the church. He uses parenting as an example of what ministry is like. So I thought we could take a few minutes to talk about parenting in general, and then we'll be able to apply that and understand a little bit more about how the Apostle Paul is feeling about his Corinthian spiritual children. So the question is, how many of you here are parents? Raise your hands. Oh, lots of parents. Good. So you should have an easy time relating. How many of you have more than four children? Five children? Six children? Seven children? Okay, eight children. Do I hear nine? Oh, one over here? Oh, oh, Warren is here. Oh. <laughs> we all go home. Warren, how many kids do you have? So far, 10. <laughs> 10 children. So now, Warren, let me ask you a question, and this represents all of us, I think. When you started having children, did you think you would get rich off of having children? Our retirement thing and our get-rich-quick scheme is have children. And the more children, the richer we'll be. Doesn't work that way at all. <laughs> That's usually not the motivation for parents to say, well, we're going to get rich from our kids. In fact, parents, we would agree it's the opposite is true. Our kids are cost us. As a matter of fact, the basic cost of raising a child from birth to age 17. Now, if you account, the number there is $233,610. If you account for inflation, price of raising a child is $284,570. Dollars. That's birth to age 17. And of course, expenses go up as kids get older. They go from diapers to iPhones. And this does not, by the way, include college. And I'm not even sure if it includes braces or not. Dental work. So we recognize that we get into parenting and there's some certain things that are understood when you get into parenting that there's going to be a financial cost. Matter of fact, one woman said her first child, when she went shopping for shampoo, she said, this $27 bottle has all pure plant-based ingredients grown in a country that has never supported a dictatorship and that only allows free-range chickens. I'll take it. But by the time six years had gone by and two children later, she said, well, this generic dishwashing liquid shouldn't take off too much skin. <laughs> Another parent said, welcome to parenthood. Hope you like hearing there's nothing to eat right after you've just spent your life savings at the grocery store. We laugh and we understand the financial challenges of being a parent. How about the emotional challenges of being a parent? How do I put this? You will never sleep in again. So we understand the fatigue, the emotional fatigue. And when you're sleep deprived, you get more emotional, you get shorter tempered, and it just affects our lives. Having children affects our lives financially, affects our lives emotionally. How about in terms of time? How about getting to places on time with a flock of little children? What I say to my son, get dressed. His interpretation, stand around naked watching television with one sock on. How many of you can relate to that? Try stuffing a two-year-old in a jacket and shoes trying to rush out the door to a doctor's appointment or 
anything else for that matter. Some people, you can tell their parents when they consider going to the grocery store by themselves as vacation. So there's financial sacrifices, there's emotional sacrifice, there's time sacrifices. Paul uses this as an illustration for ministry. What we're reminded is that ministry is more like being a parent. If you're going to compare it to something, it compares more to parenting than being an entertainer. It compares more to parenting than it does being a CEO of a corporation. So the Corinthian church who Paul's writing to, they were the church, if you remember from 1 Corinthians, they were the church that was struggling to grow up. Paul said, I came and I brought you meat. I brought you some more advanced food, food that's for a more mature palate. And I tried to bring that to you, but you couldn't eat it. You would fail to mature to the place where you had the ability to chew and swallow more advanced understanding. And so I had to keep giving you milk, even though by now you should have been able to have more. You should have been matured enough. So the Corinthian church had its share of giftedness, but they had their share of struggles. Paul had planted a number of churches and boy, the Corinthian church was his rebellious child. And he really struggled with them. They never grew up. They stayed immature. And now we're seeing through 1 Corinthians, the problem that caused. Now into 2 Corinthians, we're seeing still more problems caused by the fact that they had stayed immature. Part of the reason they stayed immature was because their culture, the culture of Corinth. Remember, to be a Corinthianizer was to be someone who was a drunk and loose living. Corinth was Las Vegas of the ancient world. Lots of money and lots of sin. And that culture had crept into the church and was influencing what they thought about accomplished ministry, accomplished pastors, what they thought about their lives as Christians. It was influenced. And so Paul's battling against that. But their immaturity, listen carefully, their immaturity left them, if we stay with the illustration, vulnerable to being kidnapped. You see, they had been deceived and led astray by smooth-talking outsiders. Paul had planted the church He gave birth, in a sense, to these children. He did his best to raise them up. Then he moved on to minister to the other churches. And while he was away, a group of outsiders came in preaching legalism, preaching another gospel, and Paul says, another Jesus. But they were smooth talkers. They commended themselves. They brought all of their accolades, all their certifications, and all the education that they had. And the Corinthians bought it like a child being led astray. You know, we warn our kids about stranger danger and they would come in and that's what they did in court. They came in and they pulled them away, deceived them with smooth talk and the promise of spiritual candy. And it's affecting their lives. And since chapter 10, Paul has been battling against what's been happening in Corinth. And he's had to do that. Remember he said in chapter 10, said the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. They're mighty in God for pulling down strongholds and tearing down imaginations and things like that. So one of the things that Paul has tried not to do is to boast and to brag about who he is and what he's done. But now, because of the situation, he's been forced to do it. He was uncomfortable with it. And that's where we pick up in verse 11 as he's winding down this discussion that started in chapter 10 about commending himself. He says, I have become a fool in boasting. Remember, he talked about all the things he suffered and all the things he went through. Are they Hebrews? I'm a Hebrew. Are they Israelites? I'm an Israelite. And he's gone through all that uncomfortableness of boasting. And finally, it's like he's exhausted from the fight. And he says, ah, I've become a fool in boasting. You have compelled me. You made me go where I was forced to do something. 
I didn't want to do. And why? He says, for I ought to have been commended by you. It shouldn't have been this hard. I should have been, and the word is to stand beside. You should have stood beside me. I mean, you know me. I was here with you for a year and a half. You've seen my sacrifices. You've watched my ministry a year and a half. And we've communicated. And instead of standing by me, isn't it funny how some people who you think love you in a moment, they'll turn away from you? I have a book on my shelf called Well-Intentioned Dragons. It's an interesting title for a book, isn't it? But it's about well-meaning people who turn on you and stab you in the back. So here's Paul pouring himself out. And he says, you should have stood by me in my time when people were running me down. You know, that's how you know your friends. As elders in the church, as church leadership, we put ourselves in the bullseye. I mean, we're ministering to hurting people from all different kinds of backgrounds, all different kinds of pain. And when people are in pain on the inside and angry on the inside, that comes out. And oftentimes in parents, you know, if your kids are hurting on the inside, who will they take it out on? They'll take it out on you. And the same thing is true in church. When people are hurting, a lot of times they'll take it out on church leadership. So we come under attack from people. And when an attack happens, it doesn't happen around here very often. But a couple of years ago, we had a situation that happened like this and whispering campaign happens. Of course, it's based on finances. We don't trust this. Someone did that. I said, wait a second. I know this church. There were people that said, we've been in this church for 14 years. We've been in this church for 12 years. And we know what kind of church this is. And we know the integrity. And I don't think you're right. I'm not going to listen to that nonsense that you're saying because we know Pastor Steve. We know the elders here. And don't you appreciate in your life when instead of people just, oh, really? Pastor Steve did what? Oh, I can't believe it. I'm leaving the church. Well, come to me. Ask me. If you really think it's possible, then ask. But the hope is that when it comes to us, we should stand beside each other, encouraging one another, defending one another, as they should have been Paul. So for in nothing was I behind the most eminent or the super apostles, though I am nothing. He was accused of being lesser than these other apostles. They had done so well at promoting themselves. They thought, wow, we don't even really know if Paul's a real apostle. Meanwhile, he's the one that gave birth to them, watched their lives transformed in front of their eyes. And now none of that really matters now. You know how that works? Whatever happened in the past, now it doesn't matter because someone's bringing an accusation now. I was behind the most eminent apostles in nothing. He says, though I am nothing. Still tentative about boasting, still hesitant to say he's something. See, Paul knew where he came from. It's always important, church, to remember where you came from. Because it's funny, we cry out for God. We're desperate for our marriage. We're desperate in our finance. We're desperate in our life. So we cry out to God. God saves us. God rescues us. He begins to teach us. And then 10, 12 years pass by. And you know the story of the Pharisee and the publican that they're both in the temple praying and the publican is just beating his chest saying, be merciful to me. That's how we start out. But then somehow along the way, we get a little information, we get a little growth, we get a little transformation, and somehow we forget that was God that did it, not me. And we become the Pharisee. And we start to look down our noses at other people. So Paul always remembered, though I am nothing. He knew where he came from. He knew he went into Damascus, high on the horse, so to speak, doing damage, bringing harm to God's people. And God knocked him to his knees, blinded him, and then gives him new sight, changed his life. And Paul knew that. So he said, look, whatever's happened in my life, I am nothing. God is everything. Every praise is to our God, as we sang. You know, I went to Washington, D.C. 
a couple of years ago for a pastor's briefing. They take us into the Capitol and we see the statuary room and we got to sit on the floor and see right behind where the Speaker of the House sit. Along the top of the Capitol building, there are busts, carved profiles of all great lawmakers around the world from all throughout history. Hammurabi is up there. So when you're sitting on the floor and you're looking at the Speaker, right above the Speaker, the only bust, the only face that's not a profile, it's a full facial image. Everyone else is a profile looking at that one lawmaker. You know who that guy is? Capitol building. It's Moses, right in the Capitol building. So whenever they're sitting there making a vote, they're looking at the face of Moses, looking at them as they make those decisions. So in Washington, D.C., one of the senators said, there are some people that come to Washington because they want to be something. And there are some people that come to Washington because they want to do something. We want to be people that are in Washington because we want to do something. That's what the senator said. And I think ministry can be the same way. There are some people that get into ministry because they want to be something. And there are some people that get into ministry because they want to do something. And Paul says, look, ministry can't make me somebody. Only Christ can make me somebody. So what were they saying was lacking in Paul's ministry? He says, the signs of an apostle were truly, verse 12, the signs of an apostle were accomplished among you with all endurance, all perseverance, signs and wonders and mighty deeds. So you read the book of Acts when Paul planted the church in Corinth, and it doesn't record any miracles done in and among the Corinthians, but clearly Paul can't refer to it unless it was happening. Paul did miracles other places. So he says, what are you looking for? The signs of an apostle were done among you? But when people are bent on forming an opinion, it is very hard to change their mind. Have you noticed that? Their minds have been twisted. Their minds have been poisoned against Paul like a teenager, let's say, who gets in with the wrong crowd, a drug crowd, a party crowd, a dark crowd, and then they start to run you down as their parents. Have you ever had that happen? Oh, your parents are just too strict. I don't want anybody in my kid's life that's going to undermine my parenting, and I will fight for my kids. And that's what Paul's doing. He says, I've done signs and deeds and wonders. Verse 13, what is it in which you were in fear to other churches? And what's the problem? Do you feel like you're somehow lesser than the other churches? Like you got gypped? You got ripped off by me being your pastor? Paul says, oh, I remember. I know what it is, where we fell short. He says, except that I myself was not burdensome to you. Forgive me this wrong. You hear the sarcasm in Paul's voice? Oh, the way you fell short is I didn't abuse you like those false apostles. I didn't hit you up for money every time I came for my ministry. I didn't charge you for my services. Remember, their cultural impression of what ministry should look like, of what accomplished people do, is they charge a lot of money for their services. For them, great and accomplished oration, the ability to speak in a certain way, was what they prized. So they took that judgment from the world, from their culture, brought it into the church, and said, real apostles, real pastors, are the ones that are highly trained, great speakers, and charge a lot. They get paid well. They didn't even know how to pick a pastor. I've been in churches where the pastor leaves and another pastor comes and they have a group that's formed a pastor search committee. And they don't even know what they're searching for. They've got to have all these numbers and letters after their names and got to have all this. The first question is, are they filled with the Spirit of God? Have they been with Jesus? Do they have a sincere faith, testimony, fruits? And PhDs and all that stuff, that's not wrong. But the Corinthians didn't even know how to identify one of God's people. Remember, he said, these are ministers of Satan. They've disguised themselves as angels of light and they're hitting them up for money. They're taking advantage of them. And Paul is really struggling. Now, 
as we continue on in this message, I'm going to tell you, we've, if we're in a plane, we've just gone off the runway. Now we're going to soar for a little bit as we talk about parenting and Paul's heart for these people. And then at the end of this chapter, we're going to have a rough landing. I'm just telling you, we're going to get one of Paul's lists of sins that he's expecting to find when he comes there. So it's going to be a tough landing, but hang in there. Your seat cushion can operate as a flotation device if you get scared. Hang with me. He says, verse 14, now for the third time, I am ready to come to you and I will not be burdensome to you. I'm not going to change my mode of operation. Not going to come to get something from you. That's what he says. Not going to be burdensome to you. I do not seek yours, but you. Not going to compare myself to the people that charge a lot, even though you maybe want me to. I'm not going to give in to peer pressure. I'm not going to give in to spiritual pressure to do what these other false apostles are doing. Not going to lower myself. I'm not going to be burdensome to you. And he says, here's why. Because I don't want your stuff. I don't want your money. I don't want your, I don't want anything from you. I want you. Paul would say that his crown of rejoicing, think about this. His crown of rejoicing is you in heaven. What's the payment we get in the world, in ministry, with people, in church? Sometimes it's hard. Have you noticed people are tough? Life is complicated. Relationships are complicated. And Paul says, you know, when I get to heaven, the crown that I'll wear is the crown formed of all of you guys that you're in heaven. I laid down my life to see you receive the gospel. And now maybe it didn't mean a whole lot to you on earth, but here you are in eternity. And that's the greatest gift I could ever have. That's the crown of rejoicing, he would say. I don't seek yours, but you. That's what ministry is about. Not about a pastor who wants to prove himself within his denomination. So he's got to have big visions for church growth and church planting. Look, church growth, church planting, that's all fine. That's all good. The greatest church growth program is when people love one another. When the word of God is taught, the word of God is proclaimed, the spirit of God is not quenched, and the people of God love one another. That's the church growth program. But we have experts and they go to their denominational conferences and they have visions and look what I've done. I've grown this church from this to that and I've built this building and we planted three churches over there and they got to bring people along and it's not about people. Now, I'm not speaking specifically. I'm speaking from my general experience as a pastor. I've sat in meetings where this is the topic of the meeting and the pastor has the pressure of getting all the people to buy into the vision so that he can be commended by his peers at his denominational meeting as successful. You can't get in ministry to be something. It'll never work. Paul says, I didn't seek yours, but you. And here he gives the parenting example. He says, for the children ought not to lay up for the parents. When it comes to money, back to our introduction, the children's job is not to work and save for the parents. He says, but the parents for the children. Now, again, Paul's using a general understanding. There are situations where older parents need help from their children. Paul's speaking in a general sense, not trying to condemn anybody that's in that situation. There are extenuating circumstances, but parents, in a general sense, you understand what Paul's saying, right? Somebody say amen if you're with me. The parents, we don't get into child rearing and child bearing to get rich off of them. So parents, we skimp and we save and we go without so that our kids can have what they need or desire. And that's what love is all about. That's what parenting is about. It's funny because when I was growing up, my mom was frugal. Anybody else have a frugal mom? 
We shopped, if you're from Pennsylvania, the Reading outlet stores. We went and bought irregular Levi's and Lee jeans for a year. All growing up, I never wore anything but irregular Levi's and Lee jeans. And we'd go, I'd buy a trash bag full of them when we were there because they were discounted severely. I'd buy all my jeans for the next five years. My mom didn't account for the fact that I was going to be growing (laughs) frugal. And now my parents are older and I have kids. And it's funny how the mentality changes, isn't it? They didn't have any money for anything when I was growing up, but now they've got grandkids. And there is nothing too expensive for the grandkids, right? There's a lot of grandparents in here. You know what I'm talking about. Because they saved up their whole lives so they could be a blessing. And that's what Paul says ministry is about. It's like parenting in that the ministry doesn't exist to be served by the people doing and giving and hitting people over the head, being a burden to them more and more. You're not serving enough. You're not giving enough. You're not doing enough. Instead, Paul says the job of the ministry is to lay up, to pour into the kids' lives, to store up something spiritual for them, to invest in their future. There's a lot of misconceptions about ministry. Sometimes people get into ministry because it's going to be an easy job. Well, I don't really know how to do anything else, so I'll just go into ministry. I've been in church. I've seen that guy, Pastor Steve. He was only a blacksmith. I think I can do what he does. (laughs) I can get up and talk 45 minutes. Doing what I do here, this preaching is the opportunity I get after suffering and loving people. That's the opportunity any of us get that speak up here. Paul says, it's the job of the parents to lay up for the children, not the children for the parents. You understand his analogy. And verse 15, I will very gladly, he's not complaining. He's not looking for anything in return. He just says, I'll very gladly spend and be spent for your souls. You are worth it. I will gladly That's my ministry. This verse has gotten me through 15 years of ministry. I will gladly spend and be spent for your souls. And that's what Paul did. Ministry is costly. You don't get into ministry for what you're going to get out of it. Ministry is going to cost you. Being a pastor actually costs you something. Sometimes people take a cut and pay. You spend money on people because you're like, how can I not help? You got this shepherd's heart. So you're pouring out. And that's what Paul was doing. I'm not saying this to look at me. I'm saying this is what Paul is doing, I will very gladly, he tells the Corinthians, I'll gladly spend and, and he makes it personal, be spent. I will exhaust myself for your soul. You get a call, three in the morning, one in the morning, hey, my brother, he's come home drunk, he's at the end of his rope, he's suicidal, can you help? I'll be right there. I'll exhaust myself. If someone calls and they know someone and there's a need and there's a spiritual need, the pastor, I don't know what to do, can you come help? You bet. But if it's Thanksgiving and the dog broke your favorite lamp, don't call me. (laughs) It's Thanksgiving. I'm with my family. They can wait till Monday. But if there's a soul, this is a life, a future. Can we say that about each other? We'll gladly exhaust ourselves for each other, for souls. Then you hope that as you do this, as a parent, I'll gladly or not so gladly spend and be spent for your kids. We do that as parents. We're exhausted running them here. How many of you have a taxi service, mom's taxi service? Take the kids here. Take the kids there. We want to do the best for our kids. That's what Paul says. I'll gladly do it. But look at the result. And this is what's jarring. Though the more abundantly I love you, the less I'm loved. I'm pouring myself out for you. And it seems like the more I give, the more I pour out, the more you turn away from me. Anybody have? Don't raise your hand. If you have a rebellious child, Right now, a child that's not walking with the Lord, they've gone astray, they're buying into some other nonsense, walked away from the Lord, 
walked away and they're looking down on you. And the more you try to minister to them, the more you try to help them, the more they pull away, you know, you understand how Paul feels about this Corinthian church. Now, I will say that this is one area where I cannot relate to the Apostle Paul. My 15 years of ministry have been wonderful. And it's been a blessing to pastor this church. And I can say the more abundantly I've loved, my wife and I and the elders of this church have loved the congregation, we have experienced love in return. But Paul had a bunch of churches. And I guess it's like having a bunch of kids. You have enough kids, you're going to eventually have one that causes real problem. Isn't it funny how (laughs) people that don't have kids love to give you advice on parenting? It's much easier to parent hypothetical non-existent kids. Oh, well, if that was my child, I'll tell you what I would do. Yeah, come see me in five years after you've had your own children and they're tearing apart the candy rack while you're trying to check out in the grocery store. Parenting is not for sissies. Ministry is not for sissies. You know, you do stuff and you realize you just can't expect anything in return. It's nice when people love you. It's nice when you get that in return. But Paul says, in this case, I'm pouring out and I'm not even getting the simplest return of enjoyable affection in return from you. You feeling for the apostle Paul? You feel how exhausted he is? Like that day you sit your kids down and go, just put away the dishes, please. Just something that shows that you care. Paul even laid down his life for them. He said, I've been in deaths time after time. I've been shipwrecked. You know how many pastors leave the ministry every month? Because the more abundantly they love, the less they get loved in return. It's a crisis. But he says, now here's where we start our landing. Are you ready? Be that as it may, I did not burden you. I'm still not willing to do that. Nevertheless, being crafty, I caught you by cunning. That's a strange verse. And I think we read it and go, huh, what is the Apostle Paul talking about? What he's doing is he's responding to an accusation. Remember, Paul is taking up a collection for the church in Jerusalem. And the Corinthians said, oh, we'll be glad to save up. And Paul boasted about them to the church in Macedonia. And all the Corinthians are saving up. We're taking this relief offering to Jerusalem. Now these false apostles come in, these ministers of Satan, and they say, you know what Paul's doing, don't you? They say, no, what's Paul doing? Paul's really just being tricky. He's being sneaky. See, he's not asking you for money directly. He's disguising it as a collection for Jerusalem, but it's really for the apostle Paul. And he's answering that, oh, you think I'm crafty and just catching you by cunning. You think that's what I'm doing? Do you follow that? So he defends that. He said, did I take advantage of you by any of those whom I sent you? I mean, think about it. He's asking rhetorical questions. The answer to these is no. You know, when you hear something, when you hear gossip, when you hear whispering, ask yourself, is that what that person's really like? I mean, has that been their track record? Is that who they are? Paul says, did I take advantage of you by any of those I sent you? So they're saying, well, Paul is not coming himself. You see, part of his craftiness, he's sending his cronies, he's sending Titus to collect the money for him so he can buy his new ministry helicopter and a leopard skin shoes or whatever it is he's going to buy. Did I take advantage of you by them? Or verse 18, I urged Titus and sent our brother with him. Did Titus take advantage of you? And the answer, church, is no. Did we not walk in the same spirit? The answer is, in this case, yes, we did walk in the same spirit. Did we not walk in the same steps? He's saying, when I sent my representatives, they had the same attitude about money that we did. You know, money truly is the root of all kinds of evil. 
And that's true in churches. I've had pastors bemoan their church's cemetery fund, of all things. They got this gargantuan cemetery fund with hundreds of thousands of dollars in it, and everybody's arguing about how to spend it and how the flowers go. I mean, just crazy stuff happens in churches, and a lot of it centers around money. That's why we don't pass a plate. That's why we don't hit you guys up for money. And we hope, our hope is that you appreciate the trust factor that's been established. We've had this conversation just recently as we talk about ministries that are happening. We'll let you know they're happening, but there is nothing I will do to destroy or challenge the trust, the financial trust that's been built around this church. And part of maintaining that is we're not going to hit you up for money. We're going to say, hey, here's what's going on. We're paving the driveway. You want to give to it? Great. If not, we'll have gravel. It's okay. We're not going to bang you every week, bang the drum, or, oh, got to give this week, got to give this week. We got more important things to do, don't we? And that's what Paul says here. Did we not walk in the same steps? Again, do you think that we excuse ourselves to you? You think that's why I'm writing? And it's the word excuse is apologia in the Greek where we get apologetics. It means to defend. So Paul says, you think I'm writing just to defend myself? You think that's what I'm all about? That's not what Paul was about. Remember the lives of the Corinthians, they're buying into a false gospel to a different Jesus. Did you think that's what I'm about? Nah, we speak before God in Christ. God knows, Christ knows what we're about. We're not doing that. But he says, we do all things beloved for your edification. You want to know why we're doing this? Why I'm defending myself? Why I'm having to brag a little bit? Because I want to build you up. I don't want to tear you down. I want to take from you. I want to give into you. That's what ministry is about. Pouring out of yourself to others. That's what parenting is about. Pouring out of your life into the lives of others. Are you ready for the tough landing? Here we come. So Paul is planning another visit. He says, now for the third time, I'm ready to come to you. Remember he said that the first time he came, it was when he planted the church. The second time he went was a difficult visit. He left on a bad, very bad note. Then he writes a harsh letter to the Corinthians. And instead of going back a third time, he sends Titus to try to smooth things over, see what the status is. And now Paul is going to come back to them. He's going to have a face-to-face meeting with them. And he says, verse 20, for I fear lest when I come, I shall not find you such as I wish. When I come, I'm afraid that when I actually come, I'm going to find a lot of bad things in the life of your church and among you. Well, then he says, and that I should be found by you such as you do not wish. He's not going to be a burden to them. And he might have to confront them about their sinfulness in their church. You know, grace is important. Grace is everything. But grace doesn't mean we brush things under the carpet and turn a blind eye to sin that's existing in the church. The Bible is about grace and truth. The law came through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. The truth is you're a child of God. And the truth is whatever you're doing doesn't represent your father in heaven. That's truth. It's not law. That's just truth. That's relationship truth. So Paul says, I'm going to come and it might be difficult again. And here's what he's afraid of finding. Lest there be contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, backbiting, whispering, conceits, and tumults. Lest when I come again, my God will humble me among you and I shall mourn for many who have sinned before and have not repented of the uncleanness, fornication, and lewdness which they have practiced. So now's the point where you get your seat cushion as a flotation device. Some hard words from the Apostle Paul. But who wants to go to that kind of church? Right? This is the early church. This is the Corinthian church. I went to Thursday mornings. Maybe you don't know. We have a mom's group that meets here. A group of moms come with their little kids. 
toddlers or one-year-olds or two-year-olds, and they get into that room and it's like a bomb went off. Kids crying, kids falling over, you know, kids tripping on each other, kids grabbing stuff. That's what this is describing right here. When I went to that mom's group, I saw contentions and jealousies and outbursts, selfish ambitions, and that's my toy. No, my toy. But that's what the Corinthians were. They were like spiritual babies. With the mom's group, you expect it from a one-year-old. You expect it from a two-year-old. But Paul's saying, I'm afraid that because you've allowed Satan to be your pastor, you're going to have a church that bears the fruit of Satan's ministry. And instead of having the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control, instead, what you've got is this mess, contentions, rivalry, and competition. Look, everything we read here is what gets fostered by a competitive spirit. Remember Paul said, I'm not going to commend myself or I'm not going to compare myself to those that are commending themselves. They're measuring themselves by themselves. They're comparing to each other. Paul says, I'm not getting into that. This is what that produces. It produces contentions, rivalries, produces jealousies, the emotional result of comparison and competitiveness. It produces outbursts of wrath, selfish ambition. That's working for pay. I'm only going to do what I get recognized for or compensated for. Backbiting. That's public and unashamed running down of others. That's what they were doing to the apostle Paul, running him down publicly to the church. Whisperings. That's the secret divisive slander campaign that happens behind closed doors. Conceit. That's fairly self-explanatory. It means to puff up. And tumults actually means to be at war. So that's where Paul started, chapter 10. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal. So there's a war in the Corinthian church. Any of you ever been to a church where there's been like a war going on? Everybody comes in with their smiley face on Sunday morning, but behind the scenes, the tension is so thick you can cut it with a knife. It's the fruit of a ministry that's immature. So this is why we go through the word verse by verse and chapter by chapter, because I don't want to conform you to my image through topical preaching. Not that topical preaching is wrong, but in topical preaching, I get to choose what you need to know. But when we go verse by verse, I get to see you conformed to the image of Christ. Then he's speaking to you. Verse by verse, chapter by chapter. Paul says, when I come, my God will humble me among you. Dealing with all the difficulties is a humbling thing. As parents, when you see you're going to do everything right, parent that kid, you got the perfect idea, and then they're born. And from then on, you go, wow, I was unprepared for this. Isn't parenting a humbling thing? When you think you can produce something in someone else's life? I heard a really good example of parenting. One woman said, when my kids were born, I thought parenting was like a bonsai tree, that the tree would grow and I would snip here and snip there and snip here and snip there and produce what I wanted to see. But now that I have kids... I realize that my job, my role as a parent is to produce a soil in which they can grow into whatever God will make them to be. And I think that's what church is. Church produces a soil, the word of God, the love of the Spirit, where people can grow into whatever God wants them to be. But their challenge, he says, I'm going to mourn when I come. I'm afraid I'm going to have to mourn, express emotional grief over the many who have sinned before It's a perfect participle. They've sinned in the past and it's ongoing and they've not repented. What are the sins? Uncleanness. That means what it is. Dirty mind, dirty thoughts, dirty movies, dirty jokes, dirty music, just a dirty life. And they're living that. That was the Corinthian life was a dirty life. The culture was dirty. And they come into the church and still they're not repenting. They're defending their lifestyle. See, it says that They're practicing uncleanness. They're practicing 
fornication, sexual desire, sex apart from marriage relationship, pornos, where we get pornography, prostitution, things like that. And then lewdness, that means unbridled lust. If you think of unbridled, a horse with no bridle, just runs wherever it wants to go. It's out of control. Well, lewdness, it also means to be incontinent, which means to lose control over your bodily functions. And they've lost control over their lusts and desires. And they have a ministry that is just promoting that in their lives. And that's why they have this church where instead of dealing with it in a loving and gentle way, but in a firm way, they're not repenting, they're not changing their mind, and they're continuing to practice. It's not a one-off thing, not a, oh, well, I stumbled into temptation. These are our lifestyles, and we're authorizing this. So this is welcome to the church in Corinth. Glad you could come and be part of this. I told you the landing was going to be rough. Can't say I didn't warn you. But I don't know about you. You know, a spirit-filled church is composed of spirit-filled people who have given place for God in their lives to not quench his spirit, but to allow God to do with them what he will. It's a surrendered life. When you surrender your life to God, he will make it fruitful. Amen? Anybody seen that happen in your life? How many of you are tired? You can go out in the world and get jealousies and outbursts of wrath and contentions. You can watch TV and get that stuff. We are people who have made a commitment to follow the living God through his son, Jesus Christ, by the power of his spirit. And we are not turning back.